Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Colin Haas Hill. And a week from now, we're going to be talking about stuff we actually saw on the football field because spring practice is about to start at Ohio State in one week. And even though it's been almost two months since the end of the season now, it, I don't know about you, Colin, but it still always feels like it sneaks up on me a little bit. Yep, yep. Now, I, when you say that we're a week from spring practice beginning, that's still a little bit wild. Because, I, I, I mean, it feels like just yesterday we were watching the Fiesta Bowl. It does. and it, it, it It's... I, I'm sure our perspective is... Also, sorry to bring up bad memories there. That's on Yeah, and, and I'm sure our perspective is different than the average fan because I'm, I'm sure most of you out there are just thinking, man, I'm, I'm just ready for, for football again. And, and, and we are, we are too. We're looking forward to it, too. But I, it, it's kind of weird because you kind of, as a football writer, you kind of like downshift into off-season mode a little bit. And then it's like, okay, now it's spring football. So... It's kind of it's kind of a weird time of year, but uh, definitely looking forward to getting to see the Buckeyes on the field for the first time this year and kind of get an idea of what the 2020 Buckeyes are going to look like. Yeah, it's I it, I think and and I, we were talking about this for like 20 seconds before you click the record button. I just think it's a really it's a really interesting um, spring practice. I, I think sometimes and and maybe this is me forgetting because it. It's been a year since since spring practices, and uh, but it just feels like there are more um, just sort of openings for for guys to um, come through at certain positions, and and I just I don't know. There's there's more uncertainty I have going into this one than it feels like um, for at least some in the past, especially on defense. I just think there's a lot there's a lot there to learn in the next month and a half or so. Well, I think for me, I think. The- the way I kind of see it going into this spring is you don't have that one really big storyline that's pervading over the spring. Like last year, obviously, you had Justin Fields coming in and you had Ryan Day's first year as head coach. You had these major, major storylines that kind of pervaded over the entire spring and the entire lead-up to the season. I don't think you have... And I'll mention, too, just to go off that the year before was the quarterback battle. Correct, correct. You've had that two years in a row. This year, I don't think you really have that because... You've got stability at head coach. You've got stability at quarterback. You know Those are two really good things to have. Those are the biggest reasons why people are going to be talking about Ohio State as one of the two front runners, along with Clemson, to be the national champion this year because those are such important things. But like you said, there's a lot of different little things that need to be sorted out this spring. Certainly on defense, replacing seven starters. There's, there's a lot of moving parts there, a new defensive coordinator and secondary coach and Kerry Combs. A lot of things the Buckeyes are going to have to work through on that side of the ball this spring. And then, you know, even on offense, they've got some really good stability there with Justin Fields coming back, with three of our best offensive linemen coming back. But running back's a big question mark. Still a couple holes to fill on that offensive line. And, you know, receivers... Tons of talent, but still kind of reworking the rotation after losing a few guys from last year. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's. It, I think you really sort of nailed it when you said there's not just the one thing that's that's interesting about this year. And I think that's what makes it um, so intriguing to me, at least from a coverage standpoint. Because if, like, listen, we can be honest here. Like last year, when when Justin Fields is going through spring practices, you can only really gather so much, right? Like. Like we can we we can watch him we can we can try and analyze him but we're not going to see a ton of him and, and and there's still five six months ago before we actually see him on an actual football field um, 
Whereas with, I, th I think you, you just look up and down the roster with so many interesting parts of this team. I think there's a lot to learn about um, about sort of all different areas on, on, on the field in a way that maybe we didn't uh, last the last two years. I know one thing we're both looking forward to, especially you, Colin, is not having to pretend there's a starting quarterback competition for the Thank next six God. months. Thank God. Now we now we just have to actually pay attention to the backup quarterback top competition, which low key, like that's like one of the most fascinating position battles of the spring and, and the entire off season. And this this is not going to be like last year, which was a fake Gunner Hoke versus Justin Fields battle, where the loser of that battle ended up not even being the backup. Um, this is going to be a real legitimate battle, I think. And I, and, I'll, and I'm on a, like the spring is just the first step of that. I think the entire summer is going to be big, and then fall camp is going to be huge. And, and honestly, I'm not sure that I would be. I would be fairly surprised if they entered um, the fall with just a clear set backup quarterback behind Justin Fields. How quickly you've forgotten about Matthew Baldwin? Last last spring, it was a Matthew Baldwin versus Justin Fields. Wow. I quote unquote. Lie. Quote unquote competition. Yeah, I I completely forgot about that. <laughs> like 100 <laughs> percent, completely forgot about the Matthew Baldwin era. Yeah, it didn't last very long, but you're you're absolutely right about the backup quarterback competition. That is, I think, one of the things that you know we're all going to be really interested in in seeing playing out this spring. And it it, it it's always kind of an interesting dynamic with those because I'm I'm always kind of curious, and you know, you guys can let us know. I'm always kind of curious, like how much the average fan actually cares about that compared to us, because. If Justin Fields stays healthy, he's going to be the quarterback all year long. But when you when you look ahead to the future of Ohio State, that competition between Stroud and Miller this spring is already going to be important. Not that anything is going to be decided this spring for 2021, but you're, you're looking at two guys who are just now coming into the program, and a year from now, one of them might need to be the starting quarterback. So their development this spring is is really important, getting them off on the right foot. And first impressions matter. And if one of those guys can pull ahead this spring and make a real push for that backup quarterback job, which of course could be Gunnar Hoke this year as well, but if, if one of those guys can, can pull ahead this year and, and make a push for that job, we saw what happened with Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow. If if one of these guys can pull ahead and be that backup quarterback and, and get more playing time this year, that could set that guy up to be the starting quarterback next year when presumably Justin Fields will be preparing to go to the NFL. Yeah, and and I think I think you're right when you say the average fan might not think about the backup quarterback battle as being that that interesting. Um, maybe this year is a little bit of an exception just because there's a little bit of intrigue around what – Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud can bring, but I just I think it's huge. I really think that this one is huge, um, and to me, it's it's because you have to sort of separate it into into a couple a couple different categories. One, like what the official depth chart is going to say, you can almost just sort of throw that away because I would imagine that Gunnar Hoke and the two freshmen are going to have oars beside their name. Um, yeah, it would be pretty surprising to me if that didn't happen. Uh, and Same. Then two, I think you have to both look at. Um, who they bring in if the game is actually close and Justin Fields misses a snap or two, maybe, I don't know, can be anything from a from missing chin strap to, I don't know, he gets his bell rung and he has to get, go out of series. I mean, we saw a couple times uh, when when they had, when Ohio State had to go to the backup in, in key games uh, during the 2019 season. 
And and to me, like, you just never know what's going to happen in those situations. You saw Dwayne Haskins come in against Michigan, and I think if you asked Urban Meyer, like, how much did, did, did that did that performance in that game against the against the Wolverines play a factor in him uh, beating out Joe Burrow for for the starting quarterback uh, gig in 2018? Like I think it had a huge effect on it, um, and that to me is why like this even though we're so far away from the spring and it doesn't ultimately matter if Justin Fields stays healthy in 2020 what these guys do. Even even a series, even a quarter, can just be so huge in the future of and in, in the future of this program. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 no question about it that you know this is this is important. This is an important spring. It's an important year just for setting the foundation at that quarterback position. And like you said, when we saw it last year, Justin Fields is not invincible. If he could suffer an injury at any time, and if that happens, then this backup quarterback competition that's happening this spring could suddenly become really important because then they could need that player to go in and win a football game for them. So that's why it's important. That's why we're going to be talking about it a lot. We'll probably write more articles about it over the next six months than you care to read, but that's why it's going to be a big area of focus because it it does matter, especially for the future, but even for this year too, in terms of having that insurance policy for Justin Fields. To address one of the questions we were asked this week, Scarlett Gray, 43-157, asked, will Justin Fields be 100% healed and active at the start of spring football, or is he still working to rehab the injury? Our understanding is that he is going to be fully participating in spring football with no restrictions. That's what Ryan Day has said. That's what Mickey Marotti has said. You know, there's been videos and pictures of him out there working out, so... I'd be surprised if we don't see him out there in a full capacity. I think the one thing that I am interested in, and we're probably not really going to be able to gauge this by the amount of practice that we'll we'll be able to watch, because we don't know exactly how many practices we're going to get to watch yet this spring, but it's not going to be every day. So we might not really be able to gauge this, but I am interested in, are they going to limit Justin's reps at all? Are are they going to, you know... uh, protect him at all obviously he's going to be wearing the black quarterback jersey so he's not going to be taking any hits but you know do they do they mix in some of those backups with the first team at all just to get those guys more reps or do they just try to get justin as many reps as possible i would lean towards they get justin as many reps as possible but it'll still be interesting to see how they handle that yeah and it'll be Corey dennis leading that and having a big role in that which will also be the fascinating part of the quarterbacks this year yeah, very, very true. That's a big spring for for Corey Dennis, no question about that, and and a big spring for Kerry Combs because we talk about position battles, we talk about areas they need to address. I certainly look at the secondary as the biggest question mark on this team entering the spring. You have one for sure starter in Sean Wade, and that's it. The rest of it. You're replacing Jeff Okuda. You're replacing Damon Arnett. You're replacing Jordan Fuller. Guys got to step up, and it's up to Kerry Combs to make sure that happens. Yeah, he's he's replaced greatness um, before at cornerback um, and, and safety. He's he's seen Malik Hooker and Gary Conley and Eli Apple and Marshawn Lattimore and all these guys go through his doors, and and he's replaced them well. Yet it's it's another story. I think 
uh, when you are having to step into the defensive coordinator role and do it. I just think there's a lot of responsibility on his plate. But really, as much as anything else at this time of the year, um, in spring with, with so long to go until until the season starts, I think, one, he just has to continue to implement his scheme and, and within spring practices sort of um, – make sure everybody is on the same page, which I think is just a really important part of, of his job because you go so long between uh, spring practices and, and, and fall camp. And, and then just the secondary, how, 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 are, how is he going to align everybody? And, and, and is there, is there going to be anybody in new roles? Are you going to see Cam Brown shift inside? Are you going to see Tyree Banks be a nickelback? Are you going to see... I don't know, even Kyle Jones in our Slack channel I'll just say he said like he'd be interested what if Josh Proctor was like the in the in the Sean Ray, Wade role last year. Um I don't know. I just think that's interesting. I just think there's a lot of combinations there and, and I think that's the thing that to me is interesting just because I could sort of see a lot of players playing in a lot of different areas. Um and I and I think spring is the first time when both Carrie will get to see them um up close and, and will maybe get a chance to see how how they're sort of looking at each of these guys. Yeah, and I think the reality is they they probably don't know a lot of those answers yet. I think a lot of that is going to be decided over the course of this spring as they evaluate guys. I think certainly, you know, there are probably going to be guys that move around, whether that's, you know, Cam Brown and Seven Banks playing some outside some slot. Josh Proctor, like you said, maybe he plays some slot. Maybe Marcus Hooker plays some slot. I would think they're going to move guys around to kind of figure out where the best places are. Ultimately, your goal is to get your four best defensive backs on the field for most of the plays. And we know that Kerry Combs is going to want to rotate. So, you know, most likely it's not going to be, you know, four guys who are playing every single snap like there was last year. I think Sean Wade will probably play every single snap because I think he's too good to take off the field. But I think at other spots, you, you could see some more rotation. I, I, I do know this. Last year, we went into the spring. The feeling was that the bullet was going to be this huge position and that Brendan White was going to be on the field all the time. And then I remember going to spring practices, first spring practice, and they're using a slot corner all the time with Sean Wade starting, and Brendan White's running off of backups. And they did that all spring, and that ended up being what they did in the fall. So there's some elements of there's going to be certain things they're not going to show us this spring because they don't want us to know about them. But still... Usually what we see in the spring is still usually a pretty good indicator of what we're going to see in the fall. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree with that, which is uh, if we want to just swing back to the other side of the ball real quick, like I'm interested to see a running back, what they do, how they split up reps. Is Master Teague, did, does he get a chance to, to win the starting job in the spring, and, and can he pull that off? Because they just they, they, they don't they got they got a decent amount of bodies there right now um, though I am wondering about the health of some of them but I just think they're just not I, I don't really know that there's a single sure thing in that room um, master Teague is is the clearly the, the most productive guy who's, who's returning in the room uh, Demario McCall's back as a fifth year senior I'm not exactly sure what his role will be uh, Steel Chambers is back after redshirting his freshman year uh, Marcus Crowley is the other guy in the room who I think um, if he's able to play, I think he's an intriguing guy in the spring. But 
Mickey Marotti had, had said a, a few weeks ago that he's not sure whether he'll be ready, and I know um, a couple weeks ago we also saw him uh, at the Schottenstein Center and, and a, with a sling on his arm, which was different than he ended the he ended the uh, his season prematurely with a leg injury. So I'm honestly, at this point, I think both of us are just sort of unsure about uh, whether to expect him in the spring, and, and maybe if, if you were to put me on the spot, I just think when you have that, when you have those kind of injuries, it's, it's hard to imagine somebody going through spring practices at full go. Yeah, I have a feeling he'll probably be at the least limited this spring. We will find out in a week from now, but certainly I think Master Teague's going to get the first shot at running back. I think he'll be number one in the depth chart start spring, and, and he's going to get every opportunity to win that starting job, but I don't think it's locked up yet. You know, I know, I know sometimes when we bring up running backs, you know, people will comment and they'll go, well, Master Teague had 800 yards last year. Why are people worried about it? But most of those 800 yards came in the second half of, of blowout wins against inferior competition. So there's still another big step that Master Teague has got to take if he's going to become a feature back at Ohio State. And I'm not saying he's not capable of doing it, but it, 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 there's still a step that has to be taken. He's, he's not going to be given this job just because he did well in the fourth quarter against backups last year. he's he, he, He's got to prove it, and they're going to give other guys a chance too. Like I said, I think... Steel Chambers is a guy who I think has a big opportunity this spring if Marcus Crowley is out to climb the depth chart. Demario McCall's the guy that we talk about every spring is maybe this is going to be the year that he breaks out. Well, this is it. This is he's a fifth-year senior now, so this is this is his make-or-break year. This is his last chance if he's going to earn any kind of significant role on Ohio State's offense. This is the year, whether it's at running back, whether they move him back to H back, and he can f- fit in somewhere there. If he's going to do anything at Ohio State, you know this is this is the time for him. Yeah, I'm going to go back to Steele real quickly because I know you wrote about this a few weeks ago. I, I just think um, I think you sort of nailed it that this is he might be one of the, he might be the, one of the most underrated guys going into the spring who just has a big opportunity ahead of him. Because I think when a lot of people when a lot of people are imagining what Ohio State's going to do at running back in the fall, I think Master Teague is, is definitely the popular pick to start. And, and and probably before his injuries, I think a lot of people thought that Marcus Crowley would be the other guy who would be in contention to start with Steele sort of being on the outskirts. Which, you know, maybe that's the case going forward. But right now, entering the spring, especially if Marcus Crowley's out, like he's he's potentially in line to just get a ton of first and second team reps in a way that he's never done before because you remember he didn't go through spring practices last year. He was he, he enrolled in the summer and he went through the fall camp and whatnot, but he's never gone through spring practices. And, and when he was going through the fall camp, Marcus Crowley had all had already enrolled uh, in, in the spring, so he was naturally already ahead of him on the depth chart. Um, J.K. Dobbins was there, Master Teague was there. Uh, Demario McCall was also there. There were just a lot of guys in front of him in his room, um, and I think it, that's probably what Mayan Williams is going to have uh, when he comes in in the summer. And, and to be honest, like that's sort of what you would want in a freshman running back. You don't necessarily want to put them out there front and center. But this is his second year. I, I, I know Marcus Crowley, when he comes back, will come back strong, and, and he just has to, I, in my mind, like Steele just has to take advantage of this opportunity because when we think about what's coming down uh, in the 2021 class, they got super. It seems like they're they're going after some really highly touted backs. Uh, it seems like uh, it seems like Tony Alford really likes what he has, and and uh, Marcus Crowley, who obviously came in in the same class as Steele. I just think that there's there's an opportunity here for Steele 
that maybe he can wedge himself into a into a better position than, than maybe he would have been if if um, if if uh, Marcus Crowley either uh, if he doesn't uh, play at all in the spring or if he's limited. I think the other area that's going to be really interesting to watch this spring is certainly going to be the receivers. We know Chris Olave is going to be a starter. We know Garrett Wilson's going to be a starter, but they want to rotate six receivers, ideally, and there's plenty of open spots. There's a lot of talent that's going to be competing for those spots, whether that's a guy like Jalen Gill entering his third year who, you know, the time is now for him. If he's going to step up and, you know, earn that starting role, this is the time to do it. A guy like Jamison Williams, who I think was close to getting in the rotation last year, and now I think really has a chance to lock himself in there. And then these true freshmen coming in, like Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and G. Scott, and Mookie Cooper. Those guys are all really talented, and they're going to have a chance to push for immediate playing time as well. So it's going to be really intriguing just watching that group. I would think at the start of spring practice, those freshmen are going to be at the bottom of the depth chart. The question is, can they climb up over the course of these 15 practices over the next six weeks? Yeah, there's a lot of talent in that room. Um, there really is. And, and equally, I think there's just a lot of opportunity. Um, the only guys who, who really have the track record are, are Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. And just beyond them, I mean, if C.J. Saunders comes back, he just, he's a six-year senior, maybe maybe he maybe he can position himself um, at, at slot receiver either as the starter or the backup. But beyond them, it's – I mean, you're looking at guys, like you said, Jalen Gill, Elijah Gardner, Jalen Harris, who, you know, they've been around now. Ohio State needs them to produce. And then you have one of or arguably the most talented group of freshman wide receivers that – has really ever come to Ohio State, which is a wild thing to say, but like it's it's the truth. I think these guys are the real deal, and, and just um, sort of watching back what they had to say during National Signing Day, like it, it feels like they're coming in with the right attitude, with the right mindset that you know they know they're freshmen, but they've also seen what freshmen can do at Ohio State, and I think Garrett Wilson sort of showed each of them, you know, you can win it, you can win a role as a freshman. Offensive line, got to fill spots at left guard and right tackle. We think the left guard is probably going to be Harry Miller. We think the right tackle is probably going to be Nicholas Petit-Frere. Will be position battles there, but both of those guys, five-star recruits, tons of talent. You would think this would be the opportunity for both of those guys to become starters. Yeah, and I think I bet that you would agree with this. I think if you ask me, like, which are you more confident in? I'm more confident in Harry Miller at left guard just because – he just seems like the real deal. And dating back to, to last summer when he enrolled, like when, when we would talk to Josh Myers or Ryan Day mentioned him, I know Greg Sagra was really high on him. It, he just seems mentally just on a different level um, than than other um, other linemen who, who come into Ohio State who typically need multiple years to, to adjust to the college program. I think mentally he got up to the speed right away. And physically, there's a reason why he was a five-star prospect. And I know Ohio State has some depth there, but, man, he's a talent. They were talking about him in August saying he could play. We could could work him into the rotation. And they they didn't really end up doing that because their interior line was so solid with Jonah Jackson and Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis. But 
he arrived in the summer, and they were talking before the season about him being ready to play. So now he's going to get a chance to go through a whole complement of spring practices for the first time, have a full offseason with Mickey Marotti to continue to develop physically. Yeah, I think he's absolutely on track to be a starter this year. And, you know, the, the one question I, I have, and I, I don't know if it's been totally ruled out, is, you know, would they consider moving Josh Myers to guard and, and putting Harry Miller at center if they believe he's the center of the future? I would guess no, because I think Josh Myers could be a, a Remington Trophy finalist this year. I think he's that kind of talent at center. But I think one way or another, you know, putting Harry Miller in there alongside Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis that could be the best interior offensive line of a country. Yeah, it would also be a statement um, to me because I think Matthew Jones is was, is also a pretty highly regarded guy within the program, and, and he's another potential starter who's going to be in his third year. He was also another top 100 recruit who I believe was the number one number one ranked center. Uh, he was. Committed. Yeah, and, and you also have Gavin Tuff, who's, who's been around. He's in his fifth year now. Um Enoch Mamahi, second-year guy. I mean, I just think there's a, there's a lot of guys there who, um, if Harry Miller beats him out, you just have to feel confident in what he can bring. And it's the same thing. I would say that it's that same thing about right tackle, just because right now I think there are guy there are three guys there who just have a ton of potential: Nick, Nicholas Petit, Frere, Dewan Jones, and Paris Johnson. Like, and if you told me, you know, Paris Johnson is starting. Um, in the in the fall like i would say wow that's incredible but i would also say he must have done something to impress to win that job because i just think out of those three you have a ton of talent there that there's no chance that that they get to the get to the fall and they're like well i don't really know who to put out there i guess we can settle on nick petit prayer since he's been there for for three years I, I just can't imagine that being the case which is a this is the the uh, it goes back to what you said. The offensive line right now is just in an incredible place right now. You look at the other side of a ball, defensive line. Again, we talk about five-star recruits who could be ready to break through. I think one of the guys who's going to have the biggest spotlight on him this spring is Zach Harrison because huge shoes to fill with Chase Young leaving Ohio State. And Zach Harrison, the number 12 overall recruit in the class of 2019, Another guy who's an absolute physical freak. He's the guy people are going to look to as the guy who can fill Chase Young's shoes and become the next superstar defensive end at Ohio State. Yeah, and alongside him, I, I'm just going to be fascinated in the spring to watch Teron Vincent, what he what he is, what he is right now, um, because I have an idea of maybe what he can become in an Ohio State uniform, and I think that ceiling is really high. But just because we haven't seen him in so long. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what he'll look like on, on first glance. Yeah, and that free technique is going to be an interesting position battle, too. Haskell Garrett being another guy who's in the mix to start there, needing somebody to step up and, and fill the void of Jay Sean Cornell's departure. I think we're both in agreement. Tommy Togi is the clear front runner to take over at nose tackle. But I think that free tech spot's going to be wide open, and a lot of it really could depend on how strongly Teron Vincent comes back after missing last season with injury. Yeah, and it is also also worth noting that I think Larry Johnson is going to rotate, so it's one of those positions where it's like it'll be interesting to see um, who starts because I think I think last last spring when we saw that Devon Hamilton was getting a lot of reps at the one, maybe we didn't realize at the time, but I think that probably told us um, what was coming in the fall, which was a, a breakout season for him. Um, and I like these are the things that you can glean from spring. Some will be true, some some won't, but. Um, 
I think I think that's one of those where you know if, if all of a sudden you see Teron Vincent running with the ones right away, you've you you got to sort of widen your eyes a little bit. Yeah, and like you mentioned, the rotation, same thing true at defensive end. Whether Zach Harrison starts or Tyreek Smith starts or Tyler Friday starts, all those guys are going to play along with Jonathan Cooper. There's going to be you know at least four guys playing regularly, and then even you know Javante Jean Baptiste. Noah Potter, those are guys who could work their way into that rotation as well. So we know Larry Johnson loves to rotate a large group of guys up front. I certainly think he's going to do that again. You look at the linebackers, two returning starters there, and Tuff Borland and Pete Warner. The weak side linebacker position, though, that's going to be an interesting one to see how they fill it. Do they move Baron Browning to that spot to try to replace Malik Harrison? Or do they, you know, give some of the other guys a shot, whether that's Dallas Gann or Taraja Mitchell or Kayvon Pope or Justin Hilliard. Lots of guys in that linebacker room who could be ready to play this year. It's going to be fascinating to see how they split up reps among those guys this spring. Yeah, that that to me is maybe the theme of, of the entire spring. It's just, you know, there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys who were once highly talented recruits who have been around the program now for a couple years. Um, I know at certain positions, maybe a wide receiver, some of those guys are first-year guys, but the majority of majority of players who are competing for spots have at least been around one, two years, um, and that's definitely the case at, at, at Weekside Linebacker with Browning and, and all the other guys that you mentioned. I'm not 100%. This is one of those that I think I have maybe the, the least certainty of how it's going to play out. I think I think if you made me project right now, I, I, I would project what, what you did in your depth chart projection on 11 Warriors, which is Baron Browning starting um, at the will, but there's just a lot of talent um, who are, who's now upperclassmen to Raja and, and Dallas Gantt maybe specifically that I think they have every they have, they have every opportunity in the spring to win a job. You mentioned there being just a lot of guys, a lot of guys who are trying to work their way up the depth chart, trying to show something this spring. Who are the guys? Any position that you look at and say, these are the guys who most need to have a good spring? For themselves or for the team? Whatever way you want to go with it. <laughs> if I were to go with, like, for themselves, I just look at the, the veteran wide receivers who have yet to um, make much of an impact, and that's Jalen Gill, Elijah Gardner, and, and Jalen Harris. Um, because I think there's a lot of talent there uh, for Ohio State. I'm, I'm honestly... I, I, even though there's there's a ton of inexperience there, I'm not just I'm not wildly concerned about that position just because they have they're bringing in four top 100 guys. But the other side of that is that there are guys there who, who have been in the program now who were once pretty highly touted recruits, especially in Jalen Harris and, and uh, Jalen Gill's case, who just haven't produced a ton yet. And, and with Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, G Scott, and Mookie Cooper coming. I mean, it's 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 go time for all, all all three of those guys. Yeah, that's who I would have said too. Is is those guys because, like you said, there's just so much talent there. Jalen Gill is the guy who really stands out to me. Is that's the guy who we know he's a guy who's really talented, and he's a guy that in his third year at Ohio State, he should be making an impact for Ohio State's offense. But we haven't seen it yet. And I've gotten the impression, just based on what coaches have said in the past, that there's still stuff that they haven't seen from him that they're waiting to see from him. So I think that's a guy really where I, I think he has a big spring. I, I think 
there's a good chance he'll be starting at slot receiver in the fall. If he doesn't have a good spring, he might not even be in the rotation. I, I think that's where he's at at this point, where I think, you know, he, he, he could absolutely be a starter. He could be one of their best offensive players this fall. But he's not even guaranteed a spot in the rotation right now because there's still things that he's got to show that he hasn't yet. Yeah, let me take that question uh, from the other side, too, and, and just say, like, who who Ohio State needs to have a good spring? And, and to me, that's just the quarterbacks um, as a whole, just because there is really no depth there. Um, there's Sean Wade at the top, and then I just look like Cam Brown and Seven Banks to me. They just have to, they have to pan out. They have to be good because if not, like Ohio State has to either turn to freshmen or, or I don't know if if they end up needing a grad transfer that that option could maybe be there. Um, Marcus Williamson's there as well. I just look at Cam Brown and Seven Banks and it's, and it's like we've heard that we've heard they've been on a good trajectory since being at Ohio State. Like now's the time. Now it's go time. And and how do they respond in the spring? Yeah, I agree with that. And you know, and another guy we talk about these highly touted recruits who have got to step up now. Tyreek Johnson is certainly one of those guys who, you know, like Jalen Gill, like Teron Vincent, uh, 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 I believe those were the three top recruits in that class of 2018, and we really haven't seen anything from them yet. So Tyreek Johnson is another one of those guys that now's your time. The cornerback depth chart's wide open. Show why you were a five-star recruit. But now's now's the time. They they need him. They they need all those guys because you know I I do think Cam Brown and Seven Banks are probably the top guys for that second outside cornerback spot. I think Marcus Williamson's a guy who could certainly factor in in the slot. But I you know Tyreek Johnson's a guy that again he he he's as talented as anybody in that room. Now is when you need to see it. Now is when that window of opportunity is very there for you to go seize it. I think we're going to have to, in the in the dead of the summer, just go through the tw- entire 2018 class and, and sort of dig out what has happened so far. It's it's fascinating. Well, this is a huge year for that class because you know, that third year, to me, that's such a defining year for a recruiting class because it's, it, it, it's the last year where you really have them all together because after this year, some of those guys are, are going to move on to the NFL. They're going to they're go to the NFL draft. Just like we saw this past year with the 2017 class, which really has lived up to the hype. But, you know, they still have some key guys there with Sean Wade and Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis. But, you know, they don't have Chase Young anymore. They don't have Jeff Okuda anymore. They don't have J.K. Dobbins anymore. So to me, this is such a defining year for that 2018 class. We haven't seen a ton of contributions you know, Chris Olave was one of the lowest-ranked guys in the class, and he's been by far the most productive. So they need guys to step up from that class, whether that's Nicholas Petit-Frere, whether that's Teron Vincent, whether that's Tyreek Smith. There, there's so many guys in that class who have a chance. Master Teague, and I mean, there's so many guys in that class who have a chance this year to make a big impact. And whether they do is probably going to play a big part in whether this Ohio State team can be a national championship team. Yeah, I, I think you dropped probably. I, I, I really do think that, that what happens with this class is, is going to determine it. And, and um, it is interesting because you, you do mention the 2017 class and how you know after three years you can't guarantee they're all going to be together. I think uh, going into the 2019 season, we, we all knew Chase Young and, and Jeff Okuda were gone. We thought uh, J.K. Dobbins could be gone too. And, and you look down and you think like, 
I don't know, Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers. You never know. Maybe they could go as well. I think even when you look at the 2018 class right now, I think Chris Olave is the only one guy you point to right now and you say, all right, like that guy's probably going to go after his third year. That guy's probably an NFL player after the 2020 season. I just think it. I think when you look up and down it, you think. I think it, when this class signed, you might have thought that that there might be two or three other guys you'd be saying that about. But whether it be injuries or whether it be veterans in front of them, it just hasn't happened yet. And, and who knows? We both saw Marcus. Or sorry, we saw Malik Hooker. <laughs> got my got got him mixed up for a sec. We saw Malik Hooker's one season, and that sent him uh, as into the NFL as the sixth pick. I mean, all you really need at Ohio State is one season. It's funny, I remember actually Paris Johnson saying that exact, exact sentence to me, and he, he had a couple examples. He had a couple examples ready because he's one of those guys who wants to head after three years, but but the 2018 class, I, I just think there's a ton of talent that, that has been um, sort of on the cusp for a while, and you know, I, th- I think in the spring, we're gonna, the, we're a, a lot of our focus is going to go straight to them. Where is gonna, your, your focus going to be the first time we watch spring practice. What's the one thing that you are most going to be looking for to see out of spring practice? All right, so I'm just imagining my stroll to the back of the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, and all of a sudden we're just all in that pack of media, 50 media members, and Jerry Emig has us behind, uh, behind some sort of black screen, and all of a sudden he pulls it down. We can walk out and there they are and where will my eyes go I, I think I mean honestly I just think they'll go immediately to the quarterbacks and see like what the order is <laughs> because that's just the dumb thing that you have to do uh, when you only get to watch I don't know 15 minutes or so you just have to see you know what are, who, who's throwing in what order and then I think I'll probably look at the defensive backs and just see like what is going on out there like I, I wouldn't, I, I, nothing would shock me in all honesty, which is why I think it's, it's maybe the most fascinating position of the spring. Yeah, I think my eyes will definitely be drawn quickly to the secondary, and and not even just my eyes, but definitely my ears, because Kerry Combs being back at spring practice means that there's going to be energy. There are most likely going to be funny comments we will overhear from Kerry Combs because he has a history of that during open practices of making entertaining comments because uh, of the nine cups of coffee that he will drink before practice. So uh, that's certainly going to be an interesting area. There's no question about it, I think, Uh, watching those defensive backs and, you know, who's at the top of a depth chart and where they're lining up and what they're doing with them, if they're bringing different looks out there on defense. It, it, it's hard because we, we don't get to see that that much and you can only read so much into what you're seeing out of you know a half hour of spring practice or whatever it will be but it will be interesting to see you know are there some different looks out there that, that maybe do look different than what we saw last year that could give a glimpse into what we could see this fall I think the biggest danger of spring practice is because it's the only thing we really get to see until September. We have months to try to draw conclusions from it and predict what we're going to see this fall. And 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 like like I said before, sometimes those conclusions are correct. Sometimes they're not and sometimes sometimes 
you know, people worry too much about things they see in the spring. I mean, I can just think back to the last two years where Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields were just okay in the spring game, and people were worried about whether they were going to be successful passers at Ohio State, and clearly once the real games began, they were just fine. So you don't want to read too much into anything. You know that, but what's... Or, sorry, go I, ahead. I was go ahead. Say, um, the it, it's a it's a good point you make. I just maybe we can do an abbreviated version of this, but like, can we can we explain like what what we take from spring practice, like what we think is is helpful and what we don't think is helpful? Because there are some times when you know we're gonna do a practice report, we're gonna tweet out some photos, we're gonna tweet out some videos, and I just think some people are looking for for things that you know maybe are meaningless like like for an example i'll just throw out one if i tweet out a video of justin fields throwing nine passes and uh jackson smith and jigba bobbles one and drops it it doesn't mean that jackson smith and jigba has had a lot of issues with his hands during camp it means on one pass he dropped it i think i think i think maybe the, the my my uh the misconception that dry that drives me the most crazy is my, on on videos of spring practice that all of a sudden people just decide whether someone is good or not based on. Yeah, and I think invariably the question that I always get the most after we attend a spring practice, and it might not be as much this year because there's not a starting quarterback competition, but the question I always get the most is, how does a quarterback look? Impossible to know. Yeah, I mean, the problem is we're not there for a full practice. They're not going against you know, live pass rushers coming at them. So there's only so much you can take take away from watching a quarterback throw in a practice session. And, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this. Watching Justin Fields and how he throws in spring practice is not even going to be close to the top of my list because we already know what Justin Fields can do. The only thing we're going to really be looking for from Justin Fields' perspective is how he's moving around, if he's healthy, does he have a brace on his knee, stuff like that. Again, the season's still six months away, so that's not really anything that's a huge concern. But obviously, if you know if he's limping around or he's really limited or something, that's going to be noteworthy. But you know, I, typically, I think you know we're probably both in the boat where in spring practice, if we're watching a spring practice, we're not really looking for what Justin Fields is doing. We're not really looking for what a Chris Olave is doing. We're not really looking for what a Josh Myers is doing because we already know what those guys can do. We're looking more for the young guys, the guys who haven't played. What can they do? Because, you know, those are the guys for whose spring is most telling. Sure, that doesn't mean that spring's not an important time for Fields or Olave or Myers or any of those guys, but there's nothing that we're really looking for because we've already seen them do it in games that actually matter. It's the guys who haven't played. It's seeing what they can do and, and trying to get a read on anything we can there. But still you have to be careful not to read too much into, you know, any one play, you know, any anyone, you know, big play or anything like that. You know, you, you're, you're going to be kind of looking at, okay, who's running with the ones, who's running with the twos, because that gives you an idea uh, of how the depth chart might stack up. You know, certainly you're looking to see, you know, who's healthy and, and who's not. And, you know, if, you, if you're watching a practice and one guy just is consistently standing out, you know, if a receiver is consistently getting open or, you know, if you're watching a lineman and one guy is, you know, consistently moving his guy off the ball, those are the things you're going to notice. But you try not to read too much into, oh, well, 
you know, this quarterback threw one interception or, or this guy made one big play because one big play in the grand scheme of 15 spring practices is not going to make that much of a difference. Yeah, and I think that um, it's it's I think generally it's very hard for us to tell you uh, whether someone is having a, a good spring practice or if they have or how how good they actually are. I think it's a lot easier for us to say like here's where they stand in the pecking order. Um, right. And and to be honest, like that's that's really the main thing that we can take out of spring. That and you know. Like, I think it's interesting sometimes to see how coaches coach. I think that that's a fascinating thing to see that, that maybe we don't we don't get a chance to do all the time. I think it's interesting to see, like, what Ryan Day is doing. Um, I think we can glean a little bit um, in terms of, like, how guys are playing. But, but even then, it's limited. I, I, I will give you credit. I think, I think last spring you were all in on the Chris Olave experience. You watched a little bit of him, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, would, I would say that I was. I think me and uh, Ari Wasserman were both on that train. Yeah, you guys, yeah, you, and, and that's one of those where it's like you watch him enough, like you can you can see that he's he's maybe in line for a little bit of a breakout. I remember like being impressed a little bit by Devon Hamilton, um, and like these are things that that maybe we can say, but also like in spring practice, things things can go wrong. I think that the thing that um, is translatable from the spring to the fall is a little bit you know where they are on the depth chart, um, and that that to me is is why. Um, the secondary is interesting because we'll get to see where certain guys are lining up. Um, we'll get to see how they are configuring uh, the defense. I think maybe we got an idea of that they were going to go single high safety a good amount of the time last year. Um, and who knows, if we see more two safety looks in the spring, maybe that will tell us something about what will happen in the fall. Um, and it's the same thing in the sprint at, 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 on the other side of the ball at, at wide receiver. Um, I, I think we're looking at maybe uh, Jalen Gill and um, – and um, uh, Jason Smith and Jigba and Mookie Cooper at slot, but who knows? Maybe on the on the fifth day of practice, maybe we get a 15-minute window, and all of a sudden we see Jackson Smith and Jigba on the outside. Like, I think I think that could tell you something that maybe they like him better out there. And like, those are the things that that we'll be looking for. I think I I think uh, by mid-April we're not going to be able to say, hey, Mookie Cooper. Great player, gonna be an all gonna be an all American for Ohio State. But we might be able to tell you what to expect from him uh, in in 2020, just based on what, where he's been on the depth chart, essentially where he has practiced uh, in the spring. I think that's really the thing that that you guys, as, as listeners and readers, are gonna have to be looking out for. Yeah, and that is a good point. I think that is one thing you try to look for is you know from the first spring practice. We typically get to watch a portion of a spring practice, first spring practice, so I'm hoping that will be the case. To the spring game, is you're looking for, you know, guy where, you know, changes have happened. Like, I can think back to last year where, you know, Gavin Cup started the spring running with the first team offensive line, but by the end of the spring, he wasn't anymore, which told me he's not doing well enough on the first team offensive line to be a starter. Or, you know, vice versa. You know, you look at a lot of those freshmen, you know, those guys aren't going to start out running with the first team or maybe not even the second team, but how quickly do they work their way up? Which of those guys are, are getting in there and really getting first team reps by the end of a spring? That'll kind of tell you which guys are on that trajectory to maybe play this fall. Yeah, that goes back to, I think, the original point that we made at the beginning, which is that I'm, I'm pretty excited about this spring just because I think there's a lot of those areas where... There, there's chances for players to make moves throughout the spring, 
and there's a lot of areas where I think just as, confi- as a configuration of both the offensive and defensive depth charts and schemes, I'm not 100% sure how certain things are going to look, and, and maybe more so than in the past. Well, since we're talking about things that you should read into some, but not totally, I think that's a good segue into the other thing we want to talk that about on this week's show, Dan. which is the NFL scouting combine. Because if you talk about things that people read into too much, the NFL scouting combine is is right up there. Because you know already we're we're recording on a Monday afternoon. Already people are talking today about Joe Burrow's hand size and whether his nine-inch hands are too small to be an NFL quarterback, whereas if his hands were literally a half-inch bigger, nobody would care. Um, Those are the kind of things about the NFL scouting combine that get read into a little too much. But that doesn't mean there's not value in what's happening in Indianapolis this week. And Ohio State's got a lot of guys there, 11 Buckeyes, that's tied with Michigan for the second most. LSU has a whopping 16 guys at the combine, which... I don't know if that's a record for sure, but it's the most that I can ever remember hearing from one school. But for Ohio State, they've got three wide receivers, K.J. Hill, Austin Mack, and Ben Victor. They will work out on Thursday. J.K. Dobbins, running back, Jonah Jackson on the offensive line, they will work out on Friday. Chase Young, it was reported on Monday that he will not work out at the Combine. Not a big surprise there. He's probably going to be the number two overall pick in the draft really doesn't need to do anything at the Combine to prove that he's a top pick. But it is a little disappointing because I think he would have killed the Combine. So uh, it would have been fun to see him go through it, but not going to hurt his draft stock. He will still be there for interviews and medical exams. Devon Hamilton and Malik Harrison, we do expect them to work out on Saturday. And then on Sunday, the final day, defensive backs, Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, and Jordan Fuller working out on Sunday. Young would have been the headliner. He He's not working out. Like I said, not going to matter. Jeff Okuda's probably kind of in that same boat, so we will see if he chooses to work out, You know, maybe do a partial workout. You know, He's going to be a top 10 pick, whether he works out of a combine or not, so not sure it really matters for him, but you know, I do think that if he participates in the drills, he, he certainly has the athletic ability to put up some great numbers. Yeah, I'm going to rely on the um, on the uh, Dan Hope experience here for, for the NFL Combine reporting because, listen, this is your domain, and, and you will be in attendance. That's correct. I will, I will be in Indianapolis. By the time you're listening to this, I'm already there. At the time we're recording it, I'm getting ready to leave once we're done. But uh, I will be there at the Combine uh, talking to all those guys. So, uh looking forward to catching up with them and you know kind of hearing about how their draft processors are going and you know anything else that you know we can glean from them you know we were asked by uh one of our listeners t rich 19045 asked about you know wouldn't it be more productive for the combine to invite players who need the exposure to nfl scouts rather than players like joe burrow chase young jeff okuda etc since they are going to be drafted high no matter what their testing will really have no bearing on much of anything they are just risking possible injury rather than elevating their stock for scouts well that question is exactly why chase young won't be working out why you know it wouldn't shock me if jeff okuda only does a partial workout because you're right those guys don't need 
to work out if a combine to bolster their draft stock. The combine is still important for Vembo because the thing that you know is repeated every year, but it's it's worth you know mentioning here is that the NFL scouting combine was actually originally created for the medical exams to to get all the players in one spot so that the teams could have a consistent physical for all of these guys and in, in, in be able to evaluate their medical records. So the combine is really important for teams, not even know so much because of a workout, but because of the medical exams, because of the interviews, uh, the different things that happen behind the scenes that aren't what you're going to see on TV, but sometimes, especially for those top prospects, those are more important. You're absolutely right that, you know, those aren't the guys who stand to gain from running a fast 40 or, or all that. It's it, it's the guys like Ben Victor. It's the guys like Austin Mack and, and Jordan Fuller. Those are the guys who can really help themselves if they have a big day on the field at the Combine. Because those are the guys right now that are fringe draft picks who you know maybe have some questions to answer about different areas of their game. But it is important for everyone to be there just because of those interviews that take place, those exams that take place. Uh, the big thing of a combine, you know, from an NFL draft scouts perspective, is it's all about checking boxes. It's all about you know showing that you meet these certain base baselines and that you don't have these red flags that could deter a team from drafting you. And if you're a guy like Chase Young, there's really no red flags about you on the field. There's really no red flags, period. He he should do great in the interviews because he's a high-character guy. We don't know of any medical concerns, so I think you know everything should go well for him there. It's just a matter of checking those boxes so that teams don't have questions about that as they continue through the draft process. Yeah, it's interesting... Um that, that I think Ohio State has a few guys who have fairly wide draft ranges, at least in, in my um, opinion. I, I just think that I could see them going um, in quite a few different places. I think all three wide receivers, K.J. Hill, Austin Mack, and Ben Victor, uh, have that. I'm uh, Jonah Jackson, Devon Hamilton, Lee Harrison, I think maybe more on, in, in mid-rounds, but I, I'm not sure exactly which mid-round they could be in, and, and honestly, this week could play a big role in determining that. And you know, Damon Arnett. Like, what does what can can he potentially end up in the first round? I don't know. I think I think it's possible. If if when when you're there, are there I don't know maybe two or three guys who you're most interested most interested to see what they do, both in their workouts and, and maybe what comes out from them and, and their interviews with teams and their medicals. Yeah, I think uh, Damon Arnett's probably the guy that's at the top of that list because you know I, I know you know there have been some you know rumblings out there that you know NFL teams have some concerns about his character and you know Damon's a guy I think it's been well documented that you know he he's a guy who's admitted it himself that he had some maturity issues he had to grow up over the course of his Ohio State career that you know he he wasn't taking you know football and academics as seriously as he needed to really until the end of his career and I think we saw that manifest itself on the field this past season where he had what I think was by far the best season of his Ohio State career as a senior and put himself in this conversation where he could be an early round pick. But I think he's one of those guys that absolutely the interview could make or break him with NFL teams. It really could because I think he's going to have some tough questions to answer and and teams are going to want to see how he answers them. 
You know, he's got people in his corner. I know, I know someone like Jeff Halfley will vouch for him because he always did last year. So I, I he, he's going to have people who are going to be in his corner who are going to be telling him, hey, this this guy is a great competitor. You know, he's he's going to come in and and, and he's going to work really hard and you know he's going to be a great player for your team. But there's going to be questions that teams want to answer about him, and then you know even on the field as well because you know I think he's a guy. You look at a forty for him. You know, he's a guy. I don't know exactly what his speed's going to be. I don't. I don't know exactly where his forty time is going to fall. You know, if if he runs a, a really fast time, that could absolutely make the difference between whether he's that late first round pick or whether he's that second round pick. And you know, conversely, if he runs a slow time, that you know that could hurt his draft stock. So I, I think he's probably a guy that's at the top of a list. You know, I think certainly a guy like Ben Victor is one of those guys where. You know, I think he needs to do well at the combine. So I don't think he has enough consistency on tape where you know a team's really going to feel sold on him unless they really feel like, okay, this guy's got these physical tools that, that we can work with. I think he'll do well at the combine. I, I think if he does well, you know, that could really help him. You know, Malik Harrison's a guy that I think I think teams already know he's athletic, but he's still one of those guys. I just feel like he has just gone so under the radar, both at Ohio State and now in the NFL draft process, because he's been overshadowed by guys like Chase Young and Jeff Okuda. You know, I think he's one of those guys that, you know, he if he can come out and he can really showcase his athleticism on on the combine field, that could be what he needs to get people really talking about him over the next couple months. Yeah, the other, uh, I will also mention J.K. Dobbins, who had a prop bet set by Bet Online of his 40 time, which I think is fairly interesting. 4.49 seconds. Slower or faster, Dan? That, that's a tough one, because I, I was initially inclined to say slower, because I, I don't think he's, you know, at super fast back, and, and, and slower actually, you know, that's that's considered it's it's last i checked it was minus 140 for slower uh even money for faster so vegas is favoring him running slightly slower than 449 but you you look back to when he was in high school and he you know killed it at the opening and i think he ran a 445 there when he was in high school so you know he's he's one of those guys that he's one of those guys that always kind of had a little bit of difficulty telling in his Ohio State career just how fast he was. You know, a guy like Paris Campbell or a Kendall Sheffield, you could just tell, you know, those guys have that elite speed. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, I, it's kind of hard for me to tell. So I think his 40s going to be really interesting. My guess for him would be somewhere in that low 4-5 range when we're talking about, you know, an electronically timed 40, but... It, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he gets in that you know mid four four range, and I think you know I think anything sub five for him would be good for him and would absolutely help his draft stock. Yeah, I think I, I imagine he's probably in the four fives, but I don't know. I mean, like you said, I think he was one of those challenging guys in the past couple of years to figure out like, wait, how fast is he? Yeah, he's just he's one of those guys. It's not like. You don't watch him and just go like, "Wow, look at his speed." Yeah. But we saw him break off, you know, his sixty-yard run. So it's it's not like he's slow. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not like he's slow. So that's going to be an interesting one to watch for sure. Uh, Chase Young's forty over/under was set at four six five, but unfortunately, 
we're not going to get the chance to see whether he will go over or under on that. Who, who do you think, Colin, who do you think is the guy that can help himself the most at the Combine? Yeah, I think um, I think you did mention it with Ben Victor. Um, just because, you know, you know, there is a world where I do think that he can go undrafted. Um, but he, if he kills it at the Combine, um, I think you look at his frame, especially he's just – he, he's just able to he's just able to high point balls with those long arms and, and ways that people shouldn't be built to do, but he can. Um, I think if he puts up good combine numbers, if he does well in the interviews, if, if no problems come up in the medicals, I think he's someone who can really benefit from this. Yeah, he's he's such a fascinating draft prospect because, like you said, we saw we saw him make some spectacular plays and this. There's so many things about him that I still think NFL scouts are going to look at and say, this is something we can work with. You know, this is a guy who could be a better player in the NFL than he was at Ohio State. I think, you know, there's going to be people who who look at that. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't, you know, I think he's one of those guys who who could, you know, be a better player in the NFL or, or he just might not do anything at the next level. He's one of those guys that's, really hard to tell so it's hard to pinpoint what his draft stock is and you know i agree i think this is gonna be a big week for him just in terms of you know determining what his draft stock is going to to be anyone anyone else that you think is you know being overlooked going into this week that you know maybe has a chance to get themselves a little more attention I mean, I'm not allowed to say Devon Hamilton. I think that's... Well, that's what I knew you were going to say, but... I'm not allowed to say he's under the radar anymore. Um, I'm interested in Jonah Jackson just because, like, there was maybe for at least the first half of the 2019 season, I thought he played better than Wyatt Davis. Um, And he's not really being treated like what I imagine Wyatt Davis will be treated like when he goes to the NFL. And I just wonder, I don't know, with a bigger spotlight at the Combine, will that come with uh, a higher stock? Um... I honestly don't know. I, I imagine at this point, I don't think he's like a. Super, I don't. I don't think he's being viewed as a, a super high ceiling prospect at all. Um, so I imagine maybe that's not the case, and and maybe this isn't even the right answer to what you asked. But he's a guy who I'm interested in just because he has flown under the radar so much, and, and I thought a lot of him um, as as a, as a as a left guard this year. Yeah, I think the tough thing to parse sometimes is, you know, the difference, you know, potentially in what. NFL teams are seeing in guys and what the NFL draft media is seeing in guys. And I, and I think especially at a position like guard, I think sometimes these things are, you know, perceptions to where Wyatt Davis was a five-star recruit out of high school. This is a guy who's been known about for years. So he's a guy who's been viewed as this future first-round pick for years. Whereas Jonah Jackson a year ago was an unknown who had played at Rutgers. So I, I think that's part of the perception you know, he's one of those guys who it is. I think it's hard to pinpoint exactly what his draft stock is. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he was a second-round pick. I think he played, you know, that well last year, and I think if he has a good combine, you know, he he could help he could help himself out. I think he's already helped himself with a good senior bowl. But if he goes, you know, fourth, fifth round, that wouldn't shock me either. I think you know, there's a lot of guys like that. You've got your Chase Youngs, your Jeff Okuda, your Jeff J.K. Dobbins, who are headliners. But I think there's a lot of guys there in those middle rounds this year, you know, from round two to round five, that I think could be really active for Ohio State. Again, 11 guys participating in the combine this year. 
uh, a new schedule for a combine this year and that the workouts are actually going to be at night and the media interviews are going to be early in the morning. So that's going to be a change from past years. But uh, in terms of the workouts you can watch on TV, those will be Thursday evening through Sunday evening on NFL Network. Uh, a few guys who did not get an invite to the Combine, Brandon Bowen, Robert Landers, Jay Sean Cornell, Rashad Berry. And we'll see all of them at Ohio State's Pro Day on March 25. You know, imagine, you know, we'll see probably a few other guys there as well. I know Liam McCullough is still working on his long snapping. I know he plans to be at Pro Day. You know, could see a couple other guys there as well. Any of those guys surprise you that they didn't get a Combine invite, Colin? Uh, not no. I wasn't really surprised by any of those. Um, I think it's understandable in each case. But I will say, like, I think each of them have a legitimate chance to, to make NFL teams. And I think sometimes when when uh, maybe redshirt seniors or something go through this process, I think in the back of both of our heads, like, there's a you know, I get why this guy's going through the process, but I don't think he's I don't think he's really gonna make a roster. I legitimately think all four of that guy, all four of these guys could potentially play at least a couple of years in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that because I, you know, I know when I wrote like an article in January, just kind of about who all the possible draft guys were, and you do you go fifteen deep there of all those guys and go any one of these guys can play in the NFL. You know, I think of Brandon Bell. I think he's a guy who absolutely is capable of playing in the NFL, and you know, I. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have, you know, I would have thought that, you know, you know, he's a guy, you know, the combine could have helped him. Certainly, I think medicals for him would have been big, you know, just to be able to go through that. Hopefully, get a clean bill of health after some of the injuries that he endured at Ohio State. But I do, I think, you know, I think you go 15 deep. You know, a, a guy like a, you know, a, a Josh Alibi would be the kind of guy that if he participates at Pro Day, where you'd say it's a long shot, you know, for him to make it to the NFL. But I, I think all of those guys are the kind of guys that, you know, if they show out at Pro Day a month from now, you know, they've got a chance, a chance, you know, if not late round picks, then they'll at least get a shot to go somewhere as an undrafted free agent. So it, it's going to be really interesting to watch. Uh, going to be another year with a lot of draft picks for Ohio State. Yep, that's going to be the theme till the end of time. We're a ton of questions from you guys this week. Uh, so we're going to finish up with basketball. We're asked one question by tomorrow about will we see any major rule changes this year, any of it may be in the pipeline but not yet confirmed, any chance replay and targeting get an overhaul. I'd be lying if I said I had any inside info on this. Uh, I, I think there will be conversations over the next few months about both of those areas. I know Ryan Day said, you know, this offseason that, you know, he, you know, he he wants to be involved in those conversations. I think especially of targeting, you know, he had mentioned the quote unquote walk of shame where, you know, a guy has to, you know, walk off the field after being ejected. You know, I think that's something he wanted to change. I think certainly those are things right now that I think pretty much are going to be talked about every single year because there's always controversy surrounding them every single year. And I, I don't know that I really see that changing anytime soon because I don't know if there's anything they can change there that's going to make all controversy go away. But I'm sure there will be conversations. I don't know if those conversations have happened yet. So I think that's probably something that we'll have to revisit uh, in the summer after some of those 
off-season, you know, coaches meetings and officials meetings and all of that happen. Yeah, and generally those kind of, kind of rules conversations are, are just sort of sort of continual. Like, but they don't pop up all of a sudden, or, and, and they're all not usually like, all right, let's go make this major overhaul. I think generally these conversations are ongoing, um, and it's a matter of whether they think, like, right now is the time to make a move, um, whether they have enough support and they believe it's um, the right the right move. And like you said, Hard to know right now just whether that'll actually happen. Yeah, and we could say this. Targeting's not going anywhere. Yeah. Instant replay's not going anywhere. There are changes that they will continue to explore to to try to, you know, cut down on controversial calls and, and you know, make them more fair. But, you know, both of those things are here to stay. Uh, I know there's people who think targeting's a bad rule, but it's an important rule for the safety of the game. So that is not going anywhere. Even you know, even coaches who may not like their guys get in front of a, out of a game, they're still mostly going to support that rule because they understand how serious head injuries are and how important it is to keep them out of a game as much as possible. The time to talk some basketball, Dan. It is. It is a. Uh, we talked last week. We thought a one and one split would be a good outcome for this past week, and Ohio State got the job done. An, an ugly loss at Iowa on Thursday, but. But bounced back in a big way on Sunday, seventy-nine to seventy-two win over Maryland. Have the Buckeyes locked up an NCAA tournament berth at this point? Yes, yes. I'm, I'm I'm glad you said that off the jump because yeah, unless something catastrophic happens, I, I will say this with the caveat: they lose to Nebraska and then they don't win another game the entire year. All right, I guess maybe we can have this conversation. But unless unless that scenario happens. Ohio State's in the tournament, and we can start talking about what they what they might be able to do in the Big Ten tournament, and what seed they might be in the NCAA tournament, and you know, maybe what they might do in March. Ohio State ranked twenty third in this week's AP Top twenty five, so probably looking at like a five six seed right now, where, where they're at right now. Um, you know, they finish really hot. You know, maybe they can get to a four. You know, I think five six is probably about where you'd expect them to be at this point. You talk about what this team can do in March. How confident are you that you know what Ohio State did on Sunday is that sustainable, or, or is this team ultimately going to be doomed by its inconsistency? No, it's um, so. I think this team is really fascinating in that regard, and that you know, I actually do think this team's ceiling is is fairly high. I just think to play at its best. It, it, it's it's fairly inconsistent, and the other part of that is that they really haven't played at their best on the road, um, basically since they beat Kentucky in December, and that wasn't even a true road game. That was a neutral site game in Las Vegas. Um, I would say they haven't played at their best on the road since they played at Carolina, and Carolina actually wasn't that good. So I think that's maybe the next step, and, and really they only have one opportunity to, to show what show whether they've made improvements on the road, and that's going to be at Michigan State team in the, in the season on March 8th. But, you know, I wrote about this um, after the game, and, and I sort of delved pretty deep into this because I think I think this team is, is really interesting in that um, there's maybe a lot that has to go right for this team to play well, but things do start to are, are starting to click a little bit in certain areas. I think there are some legitimate improvements that have been made in certain areas, 
And, you know, the, the, the better that EJ Liddell plays, the, the more consistent that uh, Luther Muhammad shoots, uh, the, the, more, uh, the more opportunities that Caleb Wesson has to, to win matchup, individual matchups, the better this team plays on defense, the better this team shoots from three. I mean, all of that makes me more confident in this team going forward. At the same time, like, I think, I think there is a lot of inconsistency in um, the, the way that I look at their offense. Um, I think it, the, the first point I would make is that this team basically has a prerequisite that, that they have to um, have every single game, and that's they have to really shoot the ball well from three. Um, and I basically straight I, – I asked, I asked Chris Holtman after the game if, if – just that exactly is that a prerequisite to, to this offense getting going he basically answered yes again against against really good teams the Ohio State really has to shoot the ball well shoot the ball well from three especially early in the game because that opens up the rest of the offense they're not going to thrive on offense getting the ball inside uh, getting to get into the rim they can do that at times but that's not really a consistent thing they have to shoot well and they did against Maryland and and as we've seen in the past in the NCAA tournament that can win games in the postseason the other part is I would say on the, on the defensive end, they've got to guard the three-point line. Um, they guarded it fine yesterday. I wouldn't uh, or uh, on Sunday. I wouldn't say it was awesome, um, but they guarded it. They guarded it well enough. Um, and to be honest, it, if I were to just boil it down to just a couple things, I do think three-point defense and three-point offense are just huge for this team. And yes, that makes it inconsistent, but also yes, that means they can beat good teams. As you've mentioned, Ohio State has really struggled on the road. They're fourteen and two at home this season, but three and six on the road. Like you said, they they only have two true road games left. One of those at Nebraska. So the the real question is, how is that going to translate to playing neutral site games in March? Yeah, I mean, welcome to the question of this team going forward. And the answer is, I'm I I don't know. And that really, honestly, has to be everyone's answer because, you know, in the Big Ten, that generally it's been the case across the board that sort of every single team has struggled on the road, and, and Ohio State is definitely right in the mix there. I think they are one of um, that they're they're one of the teams that is the biggest difference in the country um, in playing on home versus on the road. And this is a young team. This is a still developing team. Um, this is a team that's far from perfect on offense. Um, has gone through. A hell of a January that was really um, sort of un- unexpected. Um, and you, you really didn't imagine that that would happen this year after what it, what happened last year uh, in January. And um, I think there are a lot of reasons to think that uh, this team will remain inconsistent on the road. But, you know, you've seen enough positives. You've seen what they can do against top, top-level teams um, now in February, you know. There's reason for optimism, but yes, you can't just say this team has turned the corner. Do you think that you know this this team is able to to string together the kind of consistent performances where you know whether it's in the Big Ten tournament or in the NCAA tournament, you know they can put together the kind of back to back wins they need to succeed in March? Uh, yeah, I mean. Yes, but I think matchups matter. Matchups will matter, and just you know, certain guys playing well when their time is called upon that maybe they haven't always done that um, will be huge. And I, I like when I say that I'm thinking of like Caleb Wesson to me. He just has to win his matchup on both ends of the court. It didn't happen against Iowa with Luka Garza. That did happen against uh, Jalen Smith in, in Maryland. 
Um, I think about Luther Muhammad, who had 22 points uh, a season high. Um, if he can start hitting the three consistently, I think that really changes uh, this team. I think uh, if Dwayne Washington can sort of play within himself and, and not shoot too many crazy shots and, and have a better shot selection, I think that that helps. Uh, if EJ Liddell continues this upward trajectory, like I think, I think all of these things, you don't need them all to happen. You don't need everybody to play well, but I think you need a majority of you guys to play well and, and to play with consistency. And I think the consistency part for, for all of those guys has been the issue. I think it's getting better, but like you said, the home road splits are what they are. Um, and, and there is no reason right now to say, um, I believe in this team 100% on the road because they just haven't shown they deserve that yet. And since there is only the Nebraska game and the Michigan State game left, you know, we're going to walk into the Big Ten tournament and then NCAA tournament with, you know, a little with, with that being really as much uncertainty as, as anything else is how are these guys going to perform on the road? Kyle Young suffered a high ankle sprain on Sunday. As of now, while we're recording, we don't really know any details about the timetable yet and how much time he might miss, but... You know, how do they make up for that going? I mean, a high ankle sprain is usually an injury that, that is going to sideline a guy for yeah. a while. So, it, you know, if, if he's out for a good portion of the remainder of a season, how, how do they make up for that? Yeah, I will mention uh, Chris Holtman has said multiple times, like, Kyle Young may have the highest pain tolerance of, of anybody on the team. And I think him trying to stand up and then falling down immediately after um, hurting his ankle, I think maybe that just tells you, like, that, that ankle that ankle's not great right now. Um, I don't know how long that'll that'll hold him out. I will. I assume we'll get to talk to Chris Holman on uh, at some point on Wednesday afternoon, and, and maybe we'll get a chance. Maybe we'll get a chance for a better update there. But I mean, going forward, it, it it's EJ Liddell's time. It really is. Um, I think we've seen flashes of him recently. This is the first time maybe this season that he's strung together two pretty good games. Um, and now it's just like he's got to do it over and over again. He's got to provide some of that energy and, and defense and, and hustle that, that and rebounding that we saw from um, that we saw from Kyle Young. And that's really hard. That's a lot to put on a freshman. They don't have a ton of depth at the front line behind him. But it, it it's time. He it like like I said, they don't have a lot of depth. It's it, you're, it's going to be sink or swim with him. Another guy we've got to talk about, Lufer Muhammad, had a season high twenty two points against Maryland. This is a guy we saw as a freshman he, early in the year he was scoring and then really hit that wall. And then for most of this year, he really wasn't doing much offensively either. But we've seen it the last few games. He scored double digits in three of Ohio State's last four games. It looks like he's finally found some of that confidence that he needs to be a weapon on the offensive end. And, and I think that's huge. I think when you consider... You know, DJ Carton is is still away from a team. We don't know if he'll be back. We don't know what Kyle Young's status is. They need a guy like Lufer Muhammad to be contributing on the offensive end of the floor. Yeah, especially when you think about, um, say, Kyle Young is healthy. When you think about the rest of the team around him, um, you know, like CJ Walker's not this um, sort of high-powered offensive weapon. Uh, Andre Wesson's a, a sort of a catch and shoot guy, largely. Uh, Caleb Wesson is, is obviously a really versatile five. But they don't have a ton of, of offensive weapons, and and really when when he's out there and he's not really shooting the ball well, it, it um like the spacing gets a little bit more cramped. Uh, they aren't they aren't able to get Caleb West and maybe other shooters in the positions that they want. But they also have to keep Luther out there 
uh, they believe, just because he's, he's such a good defender. And you saw that on Sunday against uh, Anthony Cowan. Um, he's not coming off the, uh, off the court, which means, to me, it's like he's just got to make shots. He's got to come through. And, and, like, he's as much as anyone when I think about their success in, in March and April. Like, it's like in, in, in some games, like, it's going to come down to can Luther Muhammad hit, hit some of those shots? Which is a little bit of a dangerous proposition, but but welcome to to relying on the three pointer so much, which is what they're going to have to do. You mentioned it in a piece you wrote on Sunday, but you know this could be a pretty tight rotation going forward, especially if if Kyle Young's out, if DJ Carton's away from a team that you know you have the Wessons, you have Luther Muhammad, you have Dwayne Washington, you have CJ Walker, you have EJ Liddell, but beyond them. You know, we know Justin Arns can add a spark with his shooting, but you know he's still not a guy that they seem to trust to play a ton of minutes. So you could be looking at games here where it's really six guys playing a majority of the minutes. Yeah, no, that's that that that, that definitely is going to be the case. It, it'll be interesting to see. I, I imagine if Kyle Young misses the Nebraska game, that we'll get to see maybe a little bit of an expanded rotation. But down the stretch, they're going to really have to rely on those six guys. Um, plus, uh, if Kyle, whenever Kyle Young comes back. And I think Justin Orange is probably the seventh guy in that rotation, uh, which means a lot of pressure is going to be on him defensively. And then if you want to extend it again, like I would look at maybe an Alonzo Gaffney, what he can do. But but he's had he's had issues with consistency. He's had issues with turning the ball over. Um, he's not someone who I think they feel a ton of confidence in right now. If, if they were to go into a tournament game, if, if if you have to turn to him, despite their issues on the road. At Nebraska on Thursday is a game Ohio State really shouldn't lose. Yes. Rivalry game coming up on Sunday, playing Michigan. Already beat Michigan on the road. How do you think that game stacks up? Yeah, that, that game's going to be a tough one. Um, sort of like Ohio State, and maybe I'll have to write about this, because <laughs> their season really mirrors Ohio State in, in a wild way. Michigan has is, Michigan is sort of turned it on um, as well, and, and you think uh, back to the Ohio State game, Michigan was riding a two-game winning streak into that game. Uh, uh, lost to Ohio State by three, and since then they've won five in a row. Um, they've they they've heated up, and and like this is a game that maybe you look at the past result and you say like oh, Ohio State should win this, but I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say that right now. I think I think I think Michigan's a really good team. I think Michigan is putting it together at the right time. And honestly, like I, when you went into the, the first Ohio State Michigan game, it was like well these two teams are struggling. What's going to happen? Like these two teams now are, are playing all right. Um, I think I think we could be in for a really good game. Um, if you made me pick, maybe I would pick Ohio State. But honestly, I don't know. Michigan's playing so well, it has me thinking. Ohio State at Nebraska on Thursday at nine, at home against Michigan on Sunday at four. That'll be something for us to talk about on next week's episode. And of course, we'll be talking about all of our takeaways from the first day or the first week of spring practice. Uh, that will certainly be an area of focus for us on next week's episode of Real Pod Wednesday. So we thank you for listening in again this week, and we hope you'll tune in again next week to hear what we're seeing from the Woody Hayes Athletic Center.